We are back. And in this hour, Adrian Shropshire, executive director of Black Pack and a Democratic strategist, is joining us, as well as Morgan Harper. She is an attorney and former candidate for U.S. Senate in Ohio. Uh, we are tracking the election results from the critical elections that are happening all over the country, from Ohio to Virginia. There are some results that are in. We know that the polls have closed in Virginia, Kentucky, and Ohio. Uh, voting continues in some other states. Uh, let's look at so far in Kentucky with 55% of the votes in. So far, so far the Democratic uh, Bashir, the incumbent governor, is at 52.7%. And Cameron, the Republican who's running against him, is at 47.3%. And the Ohio ballot issue, which everyone is watching, this is about the right to abortion. So far, uh, with 21% of the votes in, the yes votes are 64.5%. The no votes are 335 And legalizing marijuana is also on the ballot in Ohio. And the yes votes with 21% in so far seems to be winning at 56.9%. And in another critical race we've been watching is this Mississippi governor's race where a Democrat uh, hopefully has an opportunity to maybe unseat the Republican. They're, they're, none of those votes have been reported as of yet. We're also watching what's happening in the Virginia state legislature and some other critical races uh, around the country, including those in New York. So let me have you jump in, Morgan. Uh, you have been on the show before. We've talked about this Ohio ballot initiative around abortion. So far, it seems to be uh, winning. I guess the yes votes means that abortion rights will be enshrined in the Constitution. Is that correct? Yeah, that's what a yes vote, uh, if the yes vote prevails, that's what that would mean. I will caution, it's still very early. So what happens in Ohio, we have about three weeks of early vote. And when when polls close on election day at 7.30, that's what kind of gets tallied first is that some of that clump early vote data. And early vote data does tend to lean a little bit more democratic. And so we're going to have to just continue to monitor throughout the night how turnout looks on day of election day and in some of these counties that are outside the major cities in Ohio. So I had seen some reporting uh, last couple of weeks or so to suggest that you know, the yes and no votes were kind of neck and neck and that the no votes perhaps was gaining momentum. But uh, I spoke to someone local. You know, someone from Ohio, and they thought that that was some propaganda by the no vote contingency. So what are you hearing about what's likely to be the outcome? We recognize it's early and that these early votes aren't necessarily indicative of where, you know, the ballot will end up tomorrow. We're feeling good. You know, there was a poll that came out last week, and this did start to make people a little nervous, that showed once people were looking at ballot language, like what is actually appearing when you go to vote, uh, which of course, the Republicans adjusted from the actual amendment language. Uh, once you had people look at that, you saw a big swing in the way that men were voting. Um, that that language uses the term unborn child. And, you know, for whatever reason, that triggered men to then move towards the no vote. Uh, but women were unchanged and independents were, were not changed as much. And so, uh, you know, even even still, we saw over 50 percent support. So I think that you know they've thrown a lot of things at us, changing the ballot language. Now we have a voter ID uh, requirement to vote, but we are still seeing tremendous amount of support for this and, and hopefully we'll be able to pull it out. 
And Adrian, what about this Kentucky governor's race? Uh, right now, again, I'm getting these numbers from the New York Times. They say 57 percent of the votes are in uh, and the incumbent Democratic uh, governor, Bashir, seems to be ahead, but uh, not by a landslide. What are you hearing or thinking is going to happen with this Kentucky governor's race? Yeah, I think that um, I think that uh, Governor Bashir is is going to pull this off. Um, I think that, you know, the 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 black Republican um, that he is running against who um, played a role or rather could have played a role in bringing justice uh, for Brianna um, and did not um, is the person he is running against. And he seems to be running behind his uh, other statewide Republicans um, who are on the ballot tonight. So he, so uh, Cameron is running behind them. So I think that there's probably some ticket switching to happen. People are voting for Bashir um, and then voting for other Republicans. Um, and so I think Bashir will pull this off. But I, I think that it's important to know, you know, what it means and what's at stake when you have governors or uh, gubernatorial candidates with such contrasting views um, on what is good for the people in their state. Um, and this is one of those cases where, um, you know, I think that Kentuckians uh, are saying, we don't, whatever uh, Mr. Cameron is bringing, we don't want it. Um, and we would prefer to stick with the governor that we have, who, who frankly has done a lot to, um, to, to push back on some of the uh, MAGA agenda that we've seen moving forward in other states. And let's talk some, uh, Morgan, about Mississippi. There is a Democratic candidate that has, uh, uh, you know, some chance. So according to some polls, he is a relative of Elvis Presley. So he has, you know, broad name recognition. He is a pro-life Democrat, though. Maybe you have to be if you're running for governor in the state of Mississippi. But what do you make of... Uh, you know, Presley, who's running against the incumbent Republican Reeves. Well, yeah, certainly any name ID advantage that you can get uh, should be welcomed as a political candidate. So I'm sure that last name isn't hurting him any. And, you know, look, I think we're in an interesting political time. There's a lot of shifting allegiances. We have a lot of people who identify as being independent right now. I know we see that in Ohio. That's what, you know, another factor in this abortion uh, race for us is going to be that there's marijuana also on the ballot that brings out a lot of independence. And so I think we're testing just, you know, the limits of how far, like um, Adrian was saying, you know, people are willing to go in this MAGA extremist agenda. And then once you have a Democrat that's fitting into a slightly different demographic or, you know, whether that's ideological or in their identity, you know, how much traction they can get and drive turnout. Interesting times, a lot of uh, unexpected outcomes, I think, await us. <laughs> yeah, this Virginia... Go ahead, jump in. No, jump in there. I think, you know, one of the one of the things in, in Mississippi that I've been watching is just what is happening with turnout um, today. And it looks like turnout is 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 high um, and particularly in Hines County, which is where Jackson is. Um, they uh, began to run out of ballots earlier today. Um, they had to, uh, you know, appeal to keep the polls open for an hour longer, which they did. Um, so folks uh, had an extra, I think the polls might, oh no, I guess they'll, they're open for another 40 minutes or so, I guess. Um, but they are, the turnout is high. And that, and that you know, I think uh, bodes well, particularly in some of um, the counties that would likely go um, for, for Presley. So I think that bodes well, but it also says something to us about the fact that um, Mississippians and Black 
Mississippians believe that they can win this. And so whether or not, you know, um, we see this race go to a runoff, which it could, um, or even if they are able to just close the margin between um, a Republican victory in the state, that actually says something about what is possible and the importance of investment um, from Democrats into Southern states, because those are winnable states and they are the places where Democrats ultimately have to recognize at some point that they have to play in those states in order to be able to pick up seats. And Adrian, didn't uh, weren't there some recent uh, legislative changes in the state of Mississippi that made uh, voting possible for some residents who otherwise would not have been uh, allowed to vote based on some old civil rights uh, laws? I'm, I'm vaguely remembering remembering there being some changes to the state law. Did that happen? Am I getting my states mixed up? No, I think that you're right. I mean, the the challenge that like with many states. Um, that, you know, states that have tried to do rights restoration, um, yeah. those those uh, rulings get appealed, right? Um, and the status for those voters ends up in limbo uh, for um, the, you know, for, for the elections that are that are before them. And so I think that, um, you know, that that's that is the case. Right. And so I think part of the as we're, you know, or, you know, in Florida, where you know, uh, uh, and in Virginia, as a matter of fact, and I don't want to get to Virginia, um, where you had, you know, uh, formerly incarcerated folks who believed that their rights had been restored. In Virginia, you just had Youngkin essentially say, no, <laughs> is it my discretion? And no. Um, and then we also saw what happened with Amendment 4 in Florida. So I think Mississippi falls um, in the same um, category with, you know, the uh, folks believing that you know, there would be the opportunity that that then gets caught up in the courts. Yeah, let's talk about Virginia. We know uh, the governor of Virginia, Glenn Youngkin, uh, sees this as his opportunity to perhaps jump into the presidential race. So if he is successful in uh, wrestling control of the state legislature there, uh, there's word, uh, Morgan, that he will show up as a candidate. I'm not sure why, since none of these GOP candidates seem to be able to get any traction. But he sees this as, I, I guess, something he can tout as showing to the nation that he can win uh, and he can beat, you know, the biggest candidate that you have to beat on the Republican side is, uh, you know, Donald Trump. What do you make of how what happens in Virginia tonight could or you know may not be a platform for Yunkin to run for president. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to see what he's doing. I mean, he has a lot of financial resources, so you know that always helps too to be able to test out different political strategies uh, statewide. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right that you know nobody is beating Trump. No one has has proven themselves to be a formidable candidate against Trump in that primary. But we know that the Republican. Uh, establishment and the party leaders are ready to turn the page. And so I do think it makes sense for Yunkin to, you know, kind of continue to position himself because we don't know exactly what's going to happen with Trump. Will he self-destruct? Is he going to make it through another one of these cases? Who who could say? Um, and if there is an opening, having somebody like him move in and, and be able to look to Virginia and show that he was able to have some kind of success in pulling back from that MAGA extremism a little bit in terms of, for example, his position on abortion, you know, moving 
advocating and, and advocating for something like a 15 week ban rather than the six week one that's in the balance for us here in Ohio, for example. So uh, it's it's interesting. I mean, I certainly don't agree with Youngkin on really anywhere where he's headed, but on the Republican side, kind of understand the strategy of trying to hedge his bets and see if he can, you know, kind of slink in there if something does happen with Trump and open up that field a little bit more. So, Adrian, in Virginia, the 40 seats, uh, the 40 seat Senate, uh, he's trying to, you know, wrestle control from Democrats, uh, giving the GOP control of the state government for the first time, if it happens since 2013. Uh, what are the on the ground polls telling you about how successful he might be? Well, I mean, the they're. Two, two. I mean, the the entire both chambers are up, right? So, um, Democrats hold a slim majority in the Senate um, right now. Um, Republicans took control um, of the House of Delegates, um, you know, when Youngkin came in, uh, and so it's been, you know, the uh, the only thing standing between kind of this full on right wing MAGA agenda um, has been that slim majority, slim democratic majority in the in the in the in the state um Senate. So it, it it really is, you know, I think people are feeling good about the turnout. Um we saw um some pretty long lines. So turnout it seems to be high. We saw very long lines um around college campuses today. And mm-hmm. part of the reason why we saw long lines is because under the uh Northam, the last Democratic gov- governor uh administration, they passed a series of um, of uh, new voting rules, and one of them was same-day voter registration, which took which took uh, effect in October of 2022. The lines that we're seeing, the long lines we're seeing around college campuses, is because those students are turning out and they're registering to vote today. They're registering wow. at the precinct, um, and so that's good news, right? To see um, uh, turnout looking like it's it's uh, it's high. I think folks that I've talked to today on the ground um, feel pretty good, but it is, you know, I think. Uh, to Morgan's point, it, you know, um, Youngkin has been raising money hand over fist. Um, and it is, you know, they, Democrats have certainly outspent them. Um, but it has been, um, you know, it's, he needs for this to happen. So even if let's say Donald Trump, uh, you know, implodes or, uh, you know, gets convicted, um, even though he will run from prison, to be clear, oh, um, uh, he needs this to be able to bolster his kind of right wing and MAGA credentials. Youngkin does because, you know, they tried to uh, pass a, an abortion ban um, in the state um, under his leadership. Um, they have tried to restrict and further reduce voting rights. They've tried to, um, you know, uh, we after he was elected, that's where we first got the first anti-CRT drama. Right. Was in Virginia during his campaign and following It's where they they first started banning books. Right. It's where they first started talking about uh, black history uh, needing to be, um, you know, e- erased, quite frankly. Um, it's where we saw the out of control, um, hysterical school board meeting. So the attacks that, that we will see on public education, the ongoing attacks on LGBTQ rights, all of those things will continue to happen if he has control of the Senate. Um, and an expanded majority um, in the House, he'll be able to do exactly what Republicans would like to be able to do at the federal level, Um, move all of that legislation that obviously is damaging for our community in particular, but will be damaging um, for for everyone in the Commonwealth. And yeah, we're going to watch what happens in Virginia very closely. I'm also, you know, some of these Democratic 
popular candidates like Bashir in Kentucky can't really depend on the National Democrats. He, he can't lean into Joe Biden's record. He can't talk about the economy. Uh, he can't talk about you know any of the successes that the Biden-Harris administration has had. But what impact do you think... Uh, you know, not being for as a Democrat, not being able to run on what we know is a very successful record of the president and vice president. But the poll numbers, the popularity numbers of the president and the vice president uh, are unfortunately very low. So even though their policy, uh, you know, initiatives, what they've been able to get accomplished is undeniably you know, would, would suggest that they've been successful when you compare them to what other presidential uh, administration, other administrations have been able to get done in this time period. Yet their numbers are so low. Uh, when we come forward, I want to talk about that. What does a Democrat running in this uh, election today do when you have such an unpopular president, but a very uh popular initiatives that they've been able to get passed? So we come forward more on today's election right here on KBLA Talk 1580. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. We are back and we are tracking today's election results. Uh, folks went to the polls today from Virginia to Ohio to vote on everything from abortion rights to recreational marijuana. Adrienne Shropshire is with us. She's the executive director of Black Pack, and she is a Democratic strategist. And Morgan Harper, she's an attorney and former candidate for U.S. Senate in Ohio. Okay, Adrian, we have a president that is widely unpopular, according to a new uh, poll that came out uh, over the weekend from the New York Times. And we have uh, a vice president whose numbers are also uh, pretty low, according to some recent polls as well. So if you are a Democrat in one of these states, like Kentucky, like Bashir, or you are like Presley running in Mississippi as a Democrat, how are you handling the low uh, popularity and polling numbers of our president? I don't think they have to worry about it, um, in part because, you know, the um, state level elections uh, for most, you know, when we say all politics is local, it's true, right? Each of those states has their own set of deep problems right now um, and deep issues. Uh, and the candidates actually can focus more specifically on what is happening in the state and not, I mean, it's not, you know, not have to focus so much on the national issues. I mean, the challenge is that the national issues are playing out in the states and in some ways have bubbled up from the states, right? So the, the people in the states and the elected leadership has been dealing with them for a while. I was, I was saying with um, Virginia, the things that are non-national issues came out of Virginia. Um, so you have candidates that can focus on the issues um, that matter to people in their state. They can talk about their record in, in the state Right, what they've done with the people for the people of Virginia, of Kentucky, um, what they hope to do for the the people of of Mississippi. Um, so I think that they actually this is actually a, a you know an important moment um, to do the kind of um, you know reengagement with the Democratic base, um, but also experiment with ways to expand that base um, by talking about issues that are going to be important next year as well, but be able, being able to do it from a state context, right? Being able to say. All, you know, there are lots of things happening in the world, 
And in our state right now, here's what we need to be focused on. And I think that that's, and that's why we're seeing the differences. You know, we're seeing what we're seeing in Kentucky right now um, in terms of what appears to be uh, the choice for governor uh, is because, uh, you know, Andy Bashir has a record to run on um, and he can talk to the people of Kentucky about what Kentucky needs um, and sort of, and sort of, you know, uh, push aside uh, some of the national noise uh, that can, that can show up in, st in states and be distorted. Right. And, um, and, you know, play into mis and disinformation <laughs> in those states as well and so when when you can push that stuff out it's 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 good for the good for the candidates obviously well we know Morgan the issue of abortion abortion rights uh, has been uh one of the the issues that has galvanized voters across the country particularly younger voters particularly women so what are you thinking you know assuming that the yes vote wins in Ohio tonight what might that victory do as we head into 2024 into some of these uh, congressional races and these Senate races and that big presidential election? Uh, Donald Trump hasn't been as hard, you know, knows he hasn't been consistent, but he seemingly has taken a, a more measured approach to this uh, abortion issue, even to the chagrin of, of some of the pro-lifers that typically support him. So assuming he's going to take a position pretty similar to, to Yorkin or some of these other Republicans, how might the abortion vote drive voters out? And will it you know, help a candidate like Donald Trump, who, as a Republican, isn't in favor of a complete ban? Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see. And I am I continue to check updates. It does look like Dave Wasserman's calling it for uh, yes on issue one. Here. Yes. Great. OK. Very good. Fantastic. Yeah, very good news. Yeah. Congratulations um, to you and all of those grassroots advocates and activists and women across the state of Ohio who got out uh, early on, saw that, you know, this this trickery by the Republicans having that election in August when people are on vacation and staying committed to this cause. You guys should have a lot. You guys do have a lot to celebrate and should feel really good about this victory. Yeah, absolutely. So, so many people involved in this effort from ACLU to reproductive rights organizations, all of that. So yeah, at, well, after we finish up here, I'm going to be uh, the victory party, but. All right. <laughs> but no, I mean, it will be interesting. And, you know, there were, there were folks who wanted to do this in 2024 to help ensure that there would be that boost in turnout. There was a decision made to do it in the off cycle year. Uh, proves to be a good decision, you know, in terms of the goal of getting abortion and trying abortion access to trying our constitution, but then what the electoral impacts will be for 2024, I think still remains to be seen. Uh, we're going to have a, a Senate race here. Sherrod Brown is up for re-election also in 2024. And especially for someone like him, who is a long-term politician, who is pretty closely tied to Joe Biden, Democratic Party, uh, I think it's going to be tricky uh, to just know what the factor will be. So certainly a good thing to have more engagement among women, younger voters on this issue. How long of an effect we'll see there, I don't quite know. And we do have a struggle in Ohio with the Democratic brand being weak. And so when we have this enthusiasm and try to transfer it to a specific candidate that has Democrat by their name, rather than just a ballot issue, are we going to see that same positive impact? And I and I just don't think we know. And, you know, and I, I, I agree with a lot of what Adrian was saying, but I do think it's tricky when Republicans are trying to come at you and, and pin everything associated with Joe Biden on you. And we have we take something like the economy, like prices 
and people do not feel like the economic agenda, though you know, I agree that there's been a lot of good that's come out of the administration, that it has led to more money in this moment in your pocket, and they tend to blame the president for that and everything that surrounds him, having the lack of the ability to bring in the forces of a very strong and you know, more, more popular president to help buttress whatever you're doing on the ground can certainly be helpful. And yeah, I mean, candidates are probably not going to be able to do that in 2024. So uh, it's a it's an uncertain terrain and, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out here in Ohio across the country. But I do think that we are going to have to battle uh, some of the weaknesses at the national level of the party and, and really dig in to try to um, turn out more voters in these critical categories, Black voters, women, young people to have a shot. You know, it's so interesting, Adrian, uh, what Morgan said, and we hear it said a lot, so she's not saying anything that we don't hear daily, which is about people don't feel this economy. You look at the number of jobs that Joe Biden has created. I run a, a pretty large company. I can't hire enough people. There, there are not even enough people who like show up that want to work for uh, certain jobs. And I hear that from so many employers, so many entrepreneurs saying they have so many jobs. Like the city of Los Angeles, where I am, has thousands and thousands of job openings, uh, which are signs of a robust economy. And then you look at what happened with the UAW and those auto workers, a 25% increase, the, the most significant increase ever and other, uh, you know, the, the 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 writers' guild, the deal that they got. So there's so many positive things in the economy. Uh, why do you think Biden and Harris still don't get any credit for that? Even when you have somebody like Trump going into Michigan to a non-union shop, criticizing the strike, criticizing the leadership, criticizing, uh, you know, Biden for going to the picket lines and standing with those workers. So. Biden doing everything a president should do on the right side of workers, but still not getting credit for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think part of the challenge is that we just have a significant um, information vacuum in our community. Um, you have there, you know, it, it, it's and, and into that vacuum is lots of misinformation, lots of uh, negative uh, information. And I think voters in, in, in many ways are overwhelmed by that. So, you know, in some, the focus groups, our most recent focus groups, you know, we asked black voters, what has Biden done? And almost to the person, people say, well, nothing. Right. Uh, yeah, I know. I hear you. Yeah. Right. And then when you show them the list of actually, here are all of the things that he's done people have a couple of different reactions. Their reaction is, oh my God, I didn't know that. Why don't I know that? Where was I supposed to find that out at? Why didn't, why hasn't it, why, why isn't the news reporting on it? Right. right. Um, the other reaction was, oh wow, that was the American Rescue Plan. Yeah, that's how I paid my rent during the pandemic, but I didn't know Joe Biden did that. I just thought the government did. Right. So mm -hmm. there's this disconnect between things that have happened, like real uh, personal impact on people um, in in over the course of of Joe Biden's um, presidency, people have had personal have benefited personally by the policies of this administration, but aren't connecting that with him. Different from um, you know, they can tell you how much money Trump gave to HBCUs because Trump told them every single day how much money he gave to HBCUs, right? Um, and so there is there's that disconnect, and then there's this information vacuum where it just the what the administration is doing, what the party is doing, just isn't breaking through. 
um, to black. Well, it's kind of hard to break through because the American media has decided that this train wreck has more, you know, ratings value, more monetary value than reporting on the positive things that are happening in the economy or happening around Joe Biden. When we come forward, I want to talk about this New York Times poll that says 22 percent of black voters are likely to vote for Donald Trump. Is this real? Stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. Okay, Adrian, what are we to make of that New York Times poll that suggests that 22% of African Americans are likely to vote for Donald Trump in the 2024 election? And then earlier on the show, Dr. Nee uh, said that he had seen a poll that says one half of all black male voters were voting or you know, it indicated that they would vote for Donald Trump in the 2024 election. Is there something happening with black voters whereby they are, uh, you know, throwing their support, unprecedented support behind Donald Trump? So the way I look at this poll, particularly when it comes to black voters, is to try and have some historical perspective, right? So since 2016, we have heard um, in early polling that black voters were going to turn out Um, with record support for Donald Trump and Republicans. We heard that in the lead up to 2016. We heard that in the lead up to 2018. And that midterm, we heard that in the lead up to 2020. We heard it again in the lead up to 2022 when we were told that there was going to be a red wave. None of that has ever come to pass. So there's literally no factual basis to say that we're going to see that kind of shift from Black voters, Black women or Black men, to support Donald Trump and the Republican Party. I think what's happening is that the sample sizes for these polls are just, they're small. Um, and, And not only are they small, but in the mix of that sample size, you have outliers. And so we're taking the opinions of outliers and extrapolating that out to the rest of uh, the Black electorate. And I just think it's wrong. I think I think it's wrong. It's off. We have not seen it. Um, we haven't seen that kind of support. And there's, and I don't think that we are. And in our own research. And so in our you know, we had, did a series of focus groups. We just did a poll. What we asked Black voters in our last poll was what is the single greatest threat to Black America? And the number one answer was the reelection of Donald Trump followed closely by the rise in white supremacy and white nationalism. Those two things are not unrelated in Black people's minds. And so the Mm -hmm. idea that Black people see Donald Trump as the single greatest threat, followed by white supremacy, but then are going to throw 22% support behind him? Absolutely not. And there's something really gross, I think, about the media just being like voyeuristic, like they're so giddy. Is Donald Trump going to be the president that turns black voters? That headline really intrigues them. Um, and they should stop acting like it's real when there's no election day data that says that it is that we've seen since 2016. Well, you're right. Uh, they're giddy about that. They're giddy about Joe Biden losing support amongst people of color, his core base, uh, Morgan. And that seems to be a narrative that the you know mainstream media wants to run with. And I just wonder, you know, if you're told something over and over again, does that make it true? Do people start feeling like, well, maybe black folks are migrating over to the Republican Party, so I better do so as well. What are you hearing in Ohio? How are black voters thinking about this party Uh, particularly Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. 
Yeah, you know, it's it's so interesting, <laughs> this data, because I, I also think something that's overlooked when we hear these numbers is that people don't vote in a vacuum of just, oh, there's this issue that I'm thinking about. And who do I how do I think about this? It's like, no, you have some existential threat to your life in the form of somebody like Donald Trump. And then you have somebody that is maybe not perfect. And I'm going to go with that person that doesn't think that they're going to just ruin my entire life and those of my family members around me. So elections and voting is always a comparison. Somehow that's always discounted when we're when we hear this this um, this polling data. And and I am hearing from a lot of folks uh, in what I've always felt <laughs> to an extent, there's a lack of understanding of the black electorate because uh, we also hear that, oh, black folks are not, are not going to support abortion, that we're conservative, that we're not going to support reproductive freedom. Did not feel that at all on the ground today. So I'll be interested to see all the, how the numbers break down. But uh, no, I think that there is a reason why you're considered one of the most solid bases of the Democratic Party. And the only thing that people should be taking away from some of these numbers, regardless of how accurate we think they are, is that we need to double down on our investment in making sure that we have the highest turnout in 2024 um, among Black voters and a lot of other you know constituencies that we need to care about. And that has not always been the case. But I think that 2024 is a good time to reinvigorate that understanding and remind people about how we can win this thing. Yeah, we always have those outliers, as you you said, Adrian. Uh, I don't know. You probably saw that uh, recent clip of uh, Charlemagne the God. Recently, I had a white uh, liberal Democratic strategist reach out to me and says, oh, my God, Ariva, who is this guy? He's espousing Donald Trump. People are listening to him. Uh, you know, why do we see this happen every time we have an election? You know, they, they've come out with Killer Mike and Ice Cube and now I guess Charlemagne, these uh, black male celebrities who have, for whatever reason, decide they're going to, you know, vote for, or I don't you know who, who they vote for or if they even vote, but, you know, say they support Donald Trump. Uh, is there anything that you think differently the Dems should do in this election leading up to 2024 uh, to respond to those voices? So I think the Democrats need to focus on doing their job. Um, and the reality is the, the point that I made early, earlier about there being this information vacuum, um, that's, that's real. Um, and if we are not talking to Black voters early enough, if we are not connecting the dots for Black voters soon enough, um, and if we are well, not- Well, do you see that? I mean, this you're saying if we are not, we're already at that moment when we should be doing this as a party. Do you see that happening? I think that it is happening. I don't think that it's happening at the scale. And I don't think that the resources have been invested. The scale of resources that need to be invested have been invested as of yet. Um, and it needs to be done earlier. And I think this is part of the, you know, sort of the important thing is that people think that early means Labor Day of an election year. That's not early. <laughs> That's too late, in fact. Um, and so when we think about the kinds of investments that have to happen in field operations, in paid media, um, in, you know, earned media, right? Doing the actual work of going into communities, um, having the conversations, that stuff needs to start very early. Because the- there's both of you about this media piece. We've talked about this a lot in the first hour. The media is chasing ratings. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to the media are very boring. They, they don't drive ratings. People don't like normal politicians that talk about issues. You know, this country has become addicted to this train wreck i.e. Donald Trump. And so even the, the 
five men, four men, one woman is going to be on the GOP debate stage tomorrow night. They don't even get traction. We haven't seen them since the last GOP debate. So it's very difficult to get Biden and Harris. Harris is very successful HBCU uh, tour. As you just said, they know how much money Donald Trump allegedly gave to black colleges. Very few people probably know about those long lines that Kamala Harris had on those black college campuses. So we can't count on the media to, you know, traditional media anyhow, to help carry forth this message because they've decided it's not driving their ratings. People aren't getting their information from the mainstream media, though, either. So, I mean, there is, you know, when we think about when, when you ask people where they get their um, their information from, it's in, you know, it's all online sources. So whether it's YouTube or it's, you know, um, TikTok, right, or it's Instagram, right, or it is um, online uh, media sources, um, that's where people are getting their information from. And so the ability to sort of flood the zone in those spaces is what's going to be really important. The mainstream media is going to do what they're going to do because they are, you know, uh, large corporations, right? And they have a bottom line. Um, and so they're going to do what they need to do. I don't think that we abandon that space, though, um, because we say that the press um, is, you know, the fourth pillar, right? And so we, there has to be accountability in terms of what is happening, um, with, with, with journalism in this country. So there has to be accountability. We, we shouldn't, we shouldn't cede that space. Um, but it's not the only space and it's not the place where most people right now are getting their information. And so being creative about how we're engaging in those spaces, um, being really targeted about the, the voters that need what kind of information, all of that is what needs to be done. Well, I hope someone's listening to you because when I talk to young people all over this country, I hear young people say they don't hear from the Democrats. So, you know, they're in these spaces you just, you know, described TikTok, you know, Instagram. That's where they live. They spend hours and hours a day. And when you talk to young people, they say, no, they're not seeing those messages from the Democrats, you know, putting the kind of, you know, accurate factual information out there about what the Harris and Biden administration has done. Uh, there's still a lot of time. So we got a lot of runway, a lot of time. So we're going to watch these election results tonight. Already that victory in Ohio, we're going to celebrate and hopefully we'll have some victories around the country. Thank you ladies so much for joining us. Next voice that you hear will be Robin Ayers and the Raw Report right here on KBLA Talk 1580.